Welcome to DanceCast, the podcast in which I interview people who create inclusive dance all around the world. My name is Silva Laukkanen and I am your host. Welcome to DanceCast. In this episode, I got to speak with Maya Nurmio and Teemu Mäki, whose joint effort, Iliane, is a dance piece based on composure, Iliane Radik's music and philosophy. Teemu Mäki is an artist, director, writer and researcher, a doctor of fine arts from the Academy of Fine Arts, University of Arts in Helsinki. Since 1990, he has been an independent freelancing artist except for the years 2008 to 2013, when he was Professor of Fine Arts in Aalto University. He's also the chairman of the Artists' Association of Finland. He works in the fields of art, philosophy and politics by whatever means necessary. The results are usually some kind of visual art, literature, theater, film or theory. He has had 57 solo exhibitions, participated in over 200 group shows, written eight books, and written and directed numerous theatre plays, films, and operas. Maya Nurmio is a Helsinki-based dance artist who works extensively in dance and performance arts. Nurmio's approach to her work is deeply corporal, and in her works she deals with our relationship with nature, the state of nature, thus the state of our humanity. At the heart of my work lies the question how art can create a place that changes meanings and circumstances and hope for a creative collective understanding than today presents. We're going to chat about well, how did they create Elaine, how did it start and where you can see it. I hope you enjoy the episode. Demo and Maya, welcome to DanceCast. Thanks. Thank you. So Demo and Maya has been working together uh, to produce a work called Eliane that is based on a French composer. Um, from when, when was she active? She's still active. Oh, she's still active. Yeah. She's very old, but still uh, composing. Because when I was doing some research, I just saw these black and white pictures and made an assumption, which is my my bad. Okay. She's still a composer. So how did you come across her work and how did it inspire you to create a piece together? Should I answer? You can. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I came across her work because uh, I'm a record collector and listen to music a lot. And uh, I found uh, her kind of uh, meditative uh, uh, contemporary classical experimental music really uh, inviting, even though it sounds at first like random noise or, or not musical really in the normal sense of the word. <clears throat> but I found it very rewarding and, uh, and uh, somehow uh, its bodily impact was immediate, even though it took some time from me to, to, to start to appreciate it as music. And then uh, 
some time later, when I was thinking of uh, new uh, works for performing arts, what kind of theater or dance or whatever I would like to do, I came to me the idea that to do something with uh, Elian Radix music would be really uh, wonderful. And, uh, and I contacted Maya because I had uh, seen some of her dance works and I was very impressed. And in my head, uh, there was a natural connection between Maya's choreographic and dance work and what could be perhaps done with Elian Radik's music. And then I sort of artistically just proposed this idea uh, to Maya. And with, with the idea that, yes, this would be something that I would like to collaborate uh, with, with Maya. And then uh, I had some ideas who else uh, would be good for the project. And uh, Maya Karhunen was uh, the first person in my mind for, for this. And then uh, I sort of threw the ball to Maya and Maya caught it and, and was uh, interested in starting something. Maybe Maya can now continue how this came about. Thanks, Temo. Uh, like that. Uh, and yeah, I remember meeting, well, meeting Temo briefly in the one of uh, one of our performances after which we made this contact to meet. And um, like for me, <clears throat> it was relevant or important that we somehow come together without uh, that, that we begin talking and I, I got it from Temo as well, that we try to find it together or that Elian Radik was one of the suggestions, but also one that came early from Temo. And I immediately sort of started listening to her because she, I, I knew her name, but I didn't, I didn't really know her music. So that just to say that it was like, um, so it's not something that was predetermined by them or predetermined by me that we find it somehow together. And uh, yeah, for me, it was fascinating. And I think them also mentioned the Il Resonant, the piece that we actually used then in the choreography, which is like 55 minutes. And I came home and I started listening to it quite quickly after we met. And, and I remember the, like the, the sound, how it was very physical. And I remember having to move around and go lie on the floor and um, adjust myself because it felt, I felt like it resonated through me. And there's this, it, it builds on this resonance, like really low resonant things that, um, pierce you or somehow we really, or I felt that it really pierced me uh, also made me very nauseous <laughs> but that was also an interesting uh, interesting thing that a piece of music was so strong and it sounded so epic it has different sections in it maybe you can or well, I felt like I heard different sections in the piece itself and then, yeah, I think the working group was uh, initially was meant to be bigger, 
but then because of this and this and that, mostly funding probably, it then became so that uh, Maya Karhunen and Teemu and myself and Jonna Eiskonen, whom I had worked with before, Teemu had worked with Maya before that, or was working at that time. And so we both sort of brought somebody from our <laughs> previous life and then collaborated. But with Elian, it was uh, like the music and the physicality of the piece was really intense and caught me. But um, I also listened to other works of her. There was this death trilogy, but that was like three hours long. And it was another level of epic, but still interesting. So maybe in the future, but it was fascinating. And like her path, as I started reading about her and her influences and how she became to her artistry. I th for me, I think it was as fascinating as the music itself. So how did the story there? There's this there's text around as well um, about some island in Norway that had a murder happen. How did that come about in the piece? Uh, yeah, I had uh, uh, just an inspiration that at some point, I think in the very beginning, I had the idea that uh, when we make this performance, it could uh, have uh, several components that there'd be the physical dance part and there might be moving image, video, uh, I mean, significant role given to that. And there might be some kind of uh, uh, verbal aspect to it also, either, um, either um, words spoken by the performers during the performance or some kind of pre-recorded uh, text part. And uh, <clears throat> I don't remember when, but at some point I, I proposed this idea to other members of the group that, well, I could write something that would be related to what we are doing. And then, uh, then uh, if you accept it, the end result, you can ask me to, to modify it if you want, and then we can decide what to do with the text. And then uh, quite late, we decided that, uh, that it's better to let uh, the three performers do the physical dance performance thing and separate the spoken word from this. Uh, and uh, the practical solution was that we recorded the the, the voice parts separately. And then uh, uh, it was a additional separate decision to, to, to use these, uh, these recorded monologues uh, with video. And uh, in the end, we decided that uh, we make this kind of, sort of clean cut in the performance that there's first uh, uh, just uh, pre-recorded voice and video. And then when that 20 minute ends, then uh, the dance part starts. But these belong together. It's like, a, like 
I think it's like a poem that takes two pages. It starts here and there's first the left page and then the right page and they are wildly different and do not uh, connect to each other by any kind of overlap. But they are clearly separate, but they really organically belong together. And uh, I'm really happy that we, we reached very fluently this kind of consensus that, okay, let's do it like this and Temu will write something and then we talk about it and then we just uh, divide the tasks in this kind of simple manner. And since the, the dance part was uh, Maya's uh, choreography anyway, and she had the main responsibility there, it was easy to divide these tasks in such a way that uh, I had the main responsibility about the verbal part and the video part, even though we had a lot of uh, collaboration altogether. It's, it was not, uh, uh, it was not uh, mm, scattered in the wrong way, I felt. But so, uh, that's how it, it, it came about. Yeah. And uh, I think it was possible to do it uh, like this, firstly, because we had uh, enough uh, trust yeah. in the group, in each other's uh, abilities and, and, and uh, in each other's uh, ability to trust each other's choices. Yeah. And then the, the other sort of precondition for, for making this kind of form for the uh, live performance thing is that uh, we, maybe it was not accident, but uh, it was not automatic either that we, all of us uh, uh, could uh, trust this kind of form. I mean, I think most uh, makers of, of live performance or film or whatever art form would be naturally a bit suspicious about this kind of form. That is it really safe or does it make sense to make a live performance where first you have to stare at the, at the video and hear pre-recorded spoken word thing for a long time. And then quite separately comes the dance part and these don't uh, uh, overlap or, or connect in any instantly obvious manner. It sounds like a mistake or clumsy composition, but uh, some of us in, in this field, and I think all of us uh, in our group felt that, yeah, this makes sense it's refreshing to have this clarity and this juxtaposition that the seemingly very disparate parts are just brought together and then we trust that the audience will find it uh, rewarding as well. So does the stories, are they fictional or are they uh, true? Uh, they are true. I mean, in the sense that uh, uh, the the story about the island and the murders there. Uh, that's just a reminder of the Utoya murders in Norway 10 years ago. And then uh, other parts are true as well, since uh, there are just some basic uh, info notions about uh, the composer Elian Radik. And there's also a very short citation of, of what she has said about her intentions with music and in her in her life. And then the rest of it, even though it's fiction in the sense that it's like poetry that I've written, 
but it's true in the sense that it's uh, sort of ponderings or ideas or questions that I've asked myself and I just sort of think them uh, out loud in the form of this kind of prose poem. So in that sense, uh, it's all true. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, I just realized listening to you that I don't think I have ever done this before where I haven't seen the piece, but I'm asking you to explain to me something that I haven't even seen. And it started to feel a little bit like peeking like I shouldn't do this like I shouldn't be asking these questions because I haven't seen the piece so I need to make um peace with that question within myself right now so that I can continue but uh because it sounds so fascinating and I want to ask more questions so I need to think how much more questions I'm going to ask without seeing the piece so maybe that's enough right there (laughs) yeah but don't worry it's it's not a detective novel where you have to hide what's going to happen next (laughs) to reveal the the, the grand design of the form doesn't spoil anything in my opinion. Okay yeah so I will you will not keep me hostage at the theater as long as I figure out who the killer was. (laughs) And I don't think we'll be able to reveal all of it in words because it's so much out of words although it has this poem that Demo wrote it's not in the words and yes they are oh I, I like the fact I love the fact that Tamer calls it a poem and it's it's factual things and it's really and it just occurred to me that it's like when we will perform it now it's like a month away from a 10-year anniversary of the happening oh happening is a horrible <laughs> way to describe what happened but uh, it's 10 years exactly now it feels very near when it happened, much nearer than a decade ago. So how much do you feel, Maya, that the text then influenced you as a choreographer for the choices that you made? <sighs> or the theme of the text or the, the words of the text? Well, the thing is that um, um, when the text came like that by the time we read Demos text uh, we were already like um, going through the dramaturgy of the choreography so in that sense none but what we had discussed like a lot uh, like earlier on with Demo how everything sort of stemmed from the same sources uh, in that sense uh yeah i feel that they really come from the same place but but not from the uh, poem itself because um what we had had already existed and it was so strange to then um going back just a little bit more (laughs) uh like the original thing was to have like the demo would go and interview elian radik and the interview would be the first part or one of the parts and uh, she answered politely and wonderfully that she wants to focus on what's essential to her uh, which I love so she spends her time as an 89 year old with her musicians and doing what she loves to do and giving her time to the community that she's working with so then it came to this other or then then demo and somehow me as well started 
trying to find out what else the text could be. So I didn't actually know about this Utoya thing, apart from the minute that Demo came to the rehearsal and showed me the picture, because, because I remember already in the news then that it was, yeah, the contrast of the beauty of the place and then the thing that happened was so sort of severe. So in a sense, the text didn't, <laughs> apart from then when we had heard it. Uh, and then uh, I remember there being this worry that how is everything after that, because it's such a big ev event that happened in history, how is that going to, how everything in the choreography is going to be seen through that. And for a while, I feel like it was, Oh, it was a worry, but it was more to do with how the like the how it would end up uh, in the poem in and what would like in which order things would be said and what is the tone of the poem and all these sort of things. And perhaps that's still the way, but without <laughs> without the worry, because we didn't end up changing everything in the choreography. We just decided that okay, this is how it is and these two things are going to be seen right after each other and some things cannot be avoided and some things shouldn't be avoided but um, it's somehow not in my hands and I think if I as a viewer would see a piece where there's this poem with words and facts in the beginning and then something else I would I would somehow travel through them in a way that I leave things behind and just focus on what's happening now. And especially with dance, especially with dance, I feel that it's always about that second and that moment. Hmm. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> I think yeah. you described the process well and, and brought out new facts like uh, I had already uh, forgotten this bit that yes, the first uh, one of the first ideas was to go to go and meet Elian Radik and do an interview and use some of that in the performance. Yes, uh, I think these uh, different elements uh, influenced each other quite a lot, uh, quite fluently because uh, even though the actual poem came into the picture quite late, uh, the 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 only new thing. In the poem uh, was the was the was the Utoya mass mass murder as a point of reference about mortality and the purpose of, of, of the art in our lives and so on and so forth. But all the other aspects, uh, I think we had uh, we had spoken about before that quite a lot. First, when uh, when uh, you and I started uh, talking about the upcoming project, and then uh, during the the dance uh, rehearsals, we talk, talked quite a lot about uh, uh, what's the point of this kind of music making, and what is uh, what's the bodily impact or bodily uh, um, function. Of, of this kind of music and and how it uh, how it can inspire a movement and so on and so forth. So many of these themes we had talked uh, not too much but quite a lot 
before I even, even started uh, sketching the poem. <clears throat> so in that sense, I think these were partly parallel things that did uh, influence each other. Uh, it probably feels, yeah, it feels like it's almost impossible when you describe your work group and your working process and the way you worked, that these things would not have influenced one another because you were in the same space discussing these things and doing this together. I mean, these are just things that I think we carry and they are unconsciously with us when we create. Yeah, I think things came really intuitively. And I think that was the wonderful and what, what I think that Demo talked about trust between the working mm. group members in early on. So that it, it was an atmosphere where we could be quite into intuitive and that's I think always the best place to be because then you can be very um you can both take your time and then you can be very quick and ah oh, okay realizing that this is exactly how it needs to go and still with the light with Olivia Pohula who uh, did the lighting design um still there were elements there that I think like that was her intuitive playing <laughs> games with our intuitive when because we, when uh, we um, we got into our premier place, it was quite quick the build up and everything. So it was quite late in the game to see what the light. Although we, that was also something that we had discussed and we looked at um, colors and things like this. But what she had in her head came um, something physical. So like. Um, so late that like visible to us i mean that it was um wonderful to see the elements that she had carried that again in another way tied the poem and utoya and the events and the other things in the poem and the choreography itself so yeah so looking forward to seeing this piece so Demo, I read at, uh, on your website uh, this statement or these questions that you have written that to you art is the best way to respond to these questions. How should we live? Why should we keep on living? What is good life? Art is the most flexible, versatile and holistic form of philosophy and politics. So I wonder, how have you found any answers, any of your questions or thinkings? And what is in the future for Teemu Mäki? Yeah, I'm finding answers all the time, but uh, none of them are, are final answers. I mean, the, the basic nature of this kind of philosophical and also political questions, like what kind of society should we have? And what's the point of living? Or what is the definition of good life? Uh, the basic nature of these questions is that uh, there can be no final scientific answer that, okay, problem solved, move on to something else. That these are eternal or impossible questions in that sense. And simultaneously, uh, they are questions that, that, that are not just matters of taste. If they were just matters of taste, everybody would be just happy in their own way if they could freely choose how I'm going to live and so on and so forth. But these are difficult questions where it's easily easy to make a mistake in the sense that, that, that you choose a life 
that that uh, you thought that you would lead into happiness, but it it might lead into misery for you and also for 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 your fellow beings. And this this is why it's so urgently important to try to deal with these slippery questions. And uh, and uh, art works for me in this. Than, than anything else, mainly because it's so open-ended that in the artistic approach to these questions, you can use anything, also scientific methods, but also you have to use something else because science alone isn't, isn't enough. And uh, open-ended and so flexible. <clears throat> and about uh, flexibility, I, I want to mention something about, with, about the process of making this work that I was, one thing that I was extremely happy about was this occasionally very quick and, and stress-free decision-making. Like when we had chosen that, okay, this is gonna be the poem and we'll use it and we'll have a recorded version of it in the, uh, in the piece. Uh, <clears throat> I just proposed that let's try, uh, uh, let's try it in such a way that, that uh, our producer Henny and our light designer, Olivia, and me, we'll read it out loud. We'll separate into three parts and let's try it. And if, uh, if all of us like it, this solution, then we go to studio and record it and it'll be part of the show. And uh, happily, everybody liked the solution. And uh, that was it. It was easy to move forward. And uh, in, uh, this wouldn't be possible in a hierarchical and, and stiff decision-making process, which would be typical in, in, in most ways of making theater or dance pieces. There you have to decide often months before that, okay, who will we recruit to, 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 do, to do the vocal part here and who will direct that and so on and so forth. But the, partly because we had this trust and partly because we had such a small group, we could move so swiftly uh, when it was uh, meaningful. About my future, I have nothing to say. I keep on making art, be uh, then in performing <laughs> arts or visual art or literature or filmmaking or whatever. I juggle them all, and and I hope it's uh, it's it's going to be equally rewarding in future. I've I've been a very happy person for a long, long time, decades, and mainly because I've had the the, the possibility of concentrating on art. So I'm one of those people who, who encourage their children to become artists. You all know that, uh, that uh, there are many artists who, who have this, <laughs> this notion that, yeah, I kind of like this, but it would be horrible if my kids became artists as well. But there are some of us who, who, see, who think that it might be the best thing for, for our kids as well. It's so funny. I have three children myself. and. Um... The thing that I encourage them to do is to find happiness. But I don't know if it's in art, so. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Maya, what is in the future for Maya? Is it, uh, is it more work in the integrated dance field? Is it more work in Helsinki? Is it, what is it? Hopefully it's more work in, in dance arts. I, I look forward to, I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm finding it more as I go along. 
I feel like there, there are like um, not different decades, but di like different uh, some years that I've been really uh, leaning that way, and some years I've been coming back to this way, and and I, I really feel like I'm leaning into dance, and I'm I'm looking forward to spending as much time with it and in it and doing it with great people as I can. And also, also of course, collaborations, but coming from like with my background, it's something that I, I really want to cherish probably also because I like, like these times it feels it's so um, endangered. So I, I want to do everything to not make it endangered. Yeah, that's I don't know if I can say any. I, for me, that's specific, but it's of course very vast. I also hope I can. Uh, I hope we can go with Elian uh, abroad. Mm. I hope we can. I can travel. I spent so much time traveling in the past, and it's been good and it's been strange to be in one place and only one place for the past year. Um, but yeah, I think it's healthy to go away and um, ex you know, experience other, other ways of living and other ways of seeing. So I have to tell, when I started um, looking at y'all's piece and started doing research and as a Extance Festival producer, getting to know this production, I looked at your photos and I looked at Maya's image and I was like, that is odd. I like, I can, I can, like, I can see how that person speaks. And I know that they are super positive and like always smiling and laughing. And I had this like really familiar feeling with uh, Maya. And I couldn't, I was like, where? I don't know. You know, I haven't been in Finland for 20 years, all these things. And then um, it came to me suddenly that in 2002 or 2003, we have sat on the lawn in Laban in London and shared a lunch. And your brightness and positivity was like the thing for my twin, early 20s angst, Silva, like the thing. I was like, oh, wow, there are these people in the world who are actually kind of happy and positive. And they're even from Finland. So. Um, it was, really lovely to <laughs> it was really lovely yeah. to reconnect with you, Maya. And really nice to meet you, Demo. Are there any other thoughts that you feel like you didn't get to share? Well, I can say that I also wish that uh, <clears throat> we could have more live performances of Elian. And my second wish is that I hope that we finally at some point manage to make a film version of it. So hmm. adaptation for, for film. I'm working on it, but it's not happening yet, but let's see. So we can all enjoy it all around the world, maybe in a film version one way, one day. Yeah, it's like, Hopefully. yeah, it would be really nice to have uh, have uh, like a live version and film version that would be separate and autonomous works that uh, 
they they would be bound to be quite different. That it like it's a different experience to to see a theater piece and then see a film that's loosely based on the same script and so on and so forth. And similar similar kind of uh, fruitful duality is here. What's interesting to me. I hope that both of these live on. The live thing lives on, and at some point, the film version is born. Yeah, it extends. It extends the live version. I I really hope it gets many more years because I I really don't see these pieces as seasonal. Mm. They are not uh, only about this time, and they are not only made to be about or they are not trending or they are not passing things so uh, maybe that's something i would send to the universe that this this would live as long as it can uh, because that's that's um, that's not a given in in this situation or in finland that's really not a given thing yeah, so I'm really into this idea of seven generations, that everything that I do has an impact seven generations from me, which is about 140 years, so that we don't keep on doing disposable stuff. Yeah. So let's say that Ilian is going to live for seven generations in it's... some form or another. Yeah. Thanks so much, Damon, Maya. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.